bury Caesar, not to praise him. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often turned with their bones, so let it be with Caesar. The noble Brutus hath told you Caesar was ambitious. If it was so, it was a grievous fault. And grievously hath Caesar answered it. Here on the leave of Brutus and the rest, for Brutus is an honorable man. So are they all, all honorable men. Come I to speak in Caesar's funeral. He was my friend, faithful and just to me. But Brutus says he was ambitious. And Brutus is an honorable man. He hath brought many captives home to Rome whose ransoms did the general coffers fill. Did this and Caesar seem ambitious? When did the poor have cried, Caesar hath wept? Ambition should be made of sterner stuff. Sometimes you gotta be hardcore, you know. That's... Sometimes you have to hurt actors. Yes, and... You know uh... all about that, Jack. Uh, well, you hurt the ones you love. And with that in mind, we're going to talk about on the list today, on the Wages of Cinema, two films that involve creators who are Great. maybe two of the greatest artists of the past 500 years, 600 years. <laughs> right. And as you all know, Jack and I gave each other lists at the beginning of the year of movies uh, either of us hadn't seen. So Jack goes first. He's taking a movie that I put on my list. And what movie is that, Jack? This uh, comes from the... Actually, one interesting thing, by the way. um, This is the only movie, I think, that involves a director who we each have on our lists. Oh, who's... uh, Joseph Joseph Mankiewicz, who made All all About Eve. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he directed All About Eve, which was on... Which is a movie about the theater. And now this movie is Julius Caesar, which takes, of course, one of the great plays by the greatest playwright, William Shakespeare. And it casts James Mason. James Mason. And... uh, And Marlon Brando. And Marlon Brando. And John Gilgood. I can't do him. Uh, yes, you have a ta- you have a powerhouse cast here. Actually, also the guy who plays uh, uh, Julius Caesar is an actor who I've seen before. His name is um, uh, Louis Calhern. Right, and I know him from a movie that I really love called The Asphalt Jungle, which is a heist movie with uh, Sterling Hayden. He plays like one of the he plays the criminals asphalt. involved. He's not that gritty. Um, so what we get with Julius Caesar, uh, and you, do you start timing on it? Yeah. Okay. Um, we uh, Now, for those of you who don't know Julius Caesar, uh, it's um, the story of, you know, one of the Julius Caesar. You know, there's a salad named after the man, for Christ's sake. Uh, this is uh, a story about power. At least that's what I could tell about it. Political power. This is the godfather of political power movies. Not maybe not equatable the godfather, but you know what I'm saying. It's from. It, it basically follows what happens between uh, Brutus and Cassius, where Cassius kind of keeps on trying to feed Brutus the idea that this guy Julius Caesar, he ain't all that. He needs to go down. He needs to be taken down to peg, and by peg we mean killed. And did he, you have to look into your cliff notes for Julius Caesar? I mean, I knew what the basic story, but seeing right. the movie helped remind me and make completely clear about the story. 
Um, and the fact that, you know, of course, Julius C- you know, this isn't spoiling because it's part of history. Uh, <laughs> or at least as far as history, you know, this is history from Ju- William Wait a minute, don't tell me how World War II ends. I haven't read <laughs> don't tell me how World War I starts. Um, the, uh... You know, Julius Caesar gets surrounded by his uh, fellow senators and is stabbed to death. Uh, and, of course, Brutus is the one who gives him the last, you know, killing stab. Right. And the interesting thing about Julius Caesar is that even though the movie and the play is named after him, Julius Caesar is not the main character. Not really, Brutus no. is the main Brutus character. Brutus is really the main character. Going into this, for some reason, I thought Mark Anthony was going to be the main character. Because he's Marlon Brando. Well, okay, yeah, because he's Marlon Brando. And, but in this uh, movie, and Marlon he, Brando yeah. barely even figures into it until yeah. about the middle of the movie. Yeah, because he... And then he steals the show. Yeah, then, he, then it becomes <laughs> the Marlon Brando show for a good, like, 20 minutes. And then it goes back to Brutus and Cassius. Right. The interesting one of the interesting things to me watching this story, um, when you look at William Shakespeare plays, like or rather some of the big ones, you find certain similar themes or certain things that happen with characters. Right. Um, I found interesting that uh, when you see Julius Caesar, there's another theme involving uh, kind of the seduction of power element. But by that I mean, uh, or sort of. Somebody infiltrating somebody's mind to try to influence them. In Othello, you had Iago who tries to keep planting this idea in Othello's head that you know Desdemona is not faithful. You know he keeps on trying to prod Othello more and more. Uh, Macbeth, you have Lady Macbeth, you know feeding Macbeth into thinking he needs to become king. And Cassius plays Cassius, that role with Brutus. Yeah, I find Cassius to be kind of a fascinating guy who's like this senator who he doesn't get power for himself. He looks at Brutus as somebody who. He can become the guy. He, you know, he well, somehow the thing with sees Brutus the, is like, why I, do you think Brutus? Why do you think Cassius sees that Brutus needs to become the guy? Well, Brutus is, if you know your Roman history, which I presume you don't. Uh, not to, unfortunately, <laughs> right. I've forgotten this story. Uh, it's great uh, because a lot of this is. I mean, I know Julius Caesar is a lot the of Julius guy. Caesar follows his the play follows historical sources. So Brutus, his family is known for driving the first the last king of rome out yes and uh they're they're no, they're national heroes his family is famous for their what well, the deeds of their ancestors and lots of people are afraid that julius caesar is going to make himself king of rome which is terrible hmm so why, why is that terrible because romans hate kings it's okay. a republic oh yes, yes traditionally they've been they've been a republic uh, but julius caesar he becomes dictator and he's and he holds power like nobody in Rome has ever held before, not okay. since the kings. Right. So Cassius attaches himself to Brutus because Brutus has this pedigree of being this sort of dictator dictator slayer. Okay. And and so he he thinks if he can get Brutus to turn against Caesar, then they'll be able to get rid of Caesar and uh, restore the republic. Right. The problem is Cassius he he's not so much in it for the good of Rome. He's really just jealous of Caesar. Yeah, that's something that I got, definitely got from this story. He sees Caesar as this man who is not... He's he's definitely not worthy to be the man in power. Right, he tells this story in the beginning of how yeah. how Caesar was swimming in a river. Yes, and, and how yes. they were about to swim in a river. And, and Caesar said, help me or I'll drown. And they're like, and this guy's the dictator! <laughs> he's so pissed off. Yes, and of course, um, that's also the scene where you get... you know, th- This play is full of... 
some of the most famous lines of all time. That's why, in a way, it is comparable to Godfather. Beware I mean, the Ides of March. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Plagiarism, and, John Green. Yes. Well, you could also say the same then for Edward R. Murrow. Yes. <laughs> um, although I, although Let I, slip the dogs of war. Yes. Actually, I forgot that with that fault in our stars line, though, it's the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves as underlings. Yeah. And I thought that was a key moment. The fact that, you know, they're the underlings. They need to do more. That's basically what that's about. I also really like the line. Uh, oh, let me bring up my notes here. Um, oh, um, oh, uh, oh, pardon me, thou bleeding piece of earth. Yes. Which I that actually I, first that heard. That I am meek with these butchers. Which I first heard. I suddenly remembered it in American Tale. Really? Yes. There's a scene where Warren T. Rat is leading Fievel to go to be work in the sweatshop, and he just is quoting Shakespeare all the time, and he quotes that line. And as a kid, I didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. But watching Julius Caesar, it's like, oh, that's where that's from. <laughs> um, you know, so a lot of great lines. Oh, it's Greek to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, just, you know, some great dialogue that's given to, to the Bute. actors of its time. And yet, I think Joseph Mankiewicz was kind of taking a risk with this movie, which I really appreciated. Because on the one hand, you have a classically trained British guy like John Gilgood. Right. The John Gilgood. He's one Cassius, the, by the way. Yeah, he plays Cassius, and James Mason is Brutus. Now, and James Mason is a pretty safe bet, I'd say. He, Yeah, he, he fills the role how you would expect. He... You know, I really also like that one scene, by the way, where Brutus is kind of by himself in his bedroom, yeah. and he's sort of pondering what what he should do. Right, because because Caesar is Caesar is Brutus's friend. Yeah, and, and that first half of the play is all about Brutus's decision to finally betray Caesar. He yeah, has, he that, has to weigh he has to weigh his own family. He has to weigh his own lineage against his his love of Caesar, and eventually he he. It's it's the well, it's he, the good of Rome that puts him that puts him yeah helps him decide. But up and and even up until the end, I mean, in that scene where all the senators, you know, in this big conspiracy f crowd around him and are stabbing him, he's off to the side. He's still not sure what should I do. Right. Um. And then finally, he's like, "All right, stab." Yeah. And then so on the one hand, you have people like John Gilgood and James Mason, and you have Brando, who at the time is the method actor. And it was actually looked as kind of stunt casting. Yeah, thought, it, it, like, it would be like to casting Robert Pattinson <laughs> in, um, right after Twilight. That's yeah. how it would seem. Well, I guess, did, do you think that people didn't take Brando seriously, though? Because no, by certainly this not. Point, but by this point, he had done Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, but I mean, you get one good film. Mm. Uh, no, and Streetcar Named Desire is just like... Actually, no, no, I should take it back. You know what it was? Method actors had the reputation, and they kind of still do. Like people like Joaquin Phoenix have this air around them. <laughs> and See, you do a good a Brando. I, <laughs> you do I, a good caricature of Brando. Yeah, well, the caricature of everybody does Brando. But then Brando comes in, and he rocks it. He, he knocks it out of the park. It. He comes in, you know, and this is right when Julius Caesar has just died. He comes in, and just like. And at first, I wasn't quite sure about his reaction, if he was exactly angry. I feel like his anger built a little bit. 
Well, you first see him, like, you barely see Mark Anthony in the first half of the film. And then after Caesar's dead, he walks in and he's, he makes a deal with, with the conspirators. And Yeah, he does. That's the thing I didn't expect about it. I thought that was, like, But then immediately after they leave, he has his own, he has his soliloquy. And he says, that line that you said, oh, pardon me, yes. thou, thou bleeding piece of earth, that I am round with these butchers. Yes. And he, it's, it's all an act. He's really setting them up. Yeah, because for you know, he, what he was, for when he gives his friends Romans countryman speech. Yeah, he was he was but he, it seemed like he was Caesar's kind of right hand man. He was, and he, he he was like the and he takes it yeah. upon himself to avenge Caesar's death, and he does it in a big way. And this is the scene that I watch over and over again. Where the, James, the, the scene where he's faced where, where they're both facing the crowd and yeah, where James Mason gets up and he gives a speech explaining why they killed Caesar. Yes, that's a very good speech, and yeah. he convinces the crowd. It's like, oh, okay, good job. Well, the crowd is so easily swayed. And that's part by the scene. And that's part of the great <laughs> yeah. greatness of this film. Yeah, yeah it's, because, a, it's right after that Mark Anthony gives this mm. All right, All right. You're, you're gonna say something. Go crazy. Okay. No. <laughs> what one of the things I did like about this movie so much is the attention that Joseph Mankiewicz pays to the cr- certain crowd members. Right. They're not just this amorphous blob. That that I think I was sort of thinking about uh in comparison to something like Gladiator, where you never get to know the crowd at no, all. No. You're just seeing them as CGI figures. Here, Joseph Yeah, Mankiewicz when they allegedly out, are such a big part of the plot, like, oh, we disapprove we, of the Emperor. But by more, the, the, the Emperor is about by the people to speak for the people. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. The crowd. <laughs> what gives? What gives? Christopher Walken here is Cassius, you know. All right. But then there are very distinct people in the crowd. Yeah, they're very distinct including people. Including a guy who looks kind of like Bruce Dern. And this helps, <laughs> I think, in a way for Brando because he gets to look at these people. He gets to connect with them. So when he says, I command you, lend me your ears. Yeah. You know, it's, it really, then he actually, then he gets to try persuade them. And man, you know, you want to look up like forceful dynamic acting yes. and it's there and yet there's subtlety too there is some subtlety to the acting in this movie right like if you look for it but it's all about the way the rhetoric yeah he he he's not allowed to say anything bad about the conspirators but he uses all these turns of phrase and all these different inflections is like, yes but and but brutus says he has a he was ambitious and brutus is an honorable man and <laughs> yeah and he, he comes and he says that over and over again and each time he becomes more and more sarcastic <laughs> yeah like at first when he said that i'm like wait is he supposed to be angry here no that can't be but he's saying he's an honorable man but, he but he's saying it in no but he's saying it in that shakespearean way yeah where it's like and he's an honorable man yeah sure words 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know, from Hamlet. Um, I just love that line so much. And and this scene, I think it reveals the pr- the cause of Brutus's downfall. I mean, he's yeah. it's kind of instead of it being like the tragedy of, Bru- of Julius Caesar, it's really like kind of the tragedy of Brutus. Yeah, where Brutus who... is he does what he does out of idealism mm-hmm. and because he believes in this idea of the Roman Republic, and eventually that's that's his downfall too. Yeah, because he believes in the crowd, and he believes if he just goes out there and says and states very clearly the reason that they've assassinated Caesar, the crowd will just accept it because they know it's right. Yeah. And Anthony comes and gives this speech, this manipulative speech yeah. that turns the crowd on a dime, uh-huh. and they want to rip the conspirators apart. Yeah. And he Brutus trusts so much 
when really he's the only person in Rome who's doing something right, and that's the source. That's that's the reason why he fails. Yes, yes. It's a very cynical lesson. It kind of is. I think that Shakespeare looks back on this era of the Romans, and you can you can get a lot about how why there were problems with uh, the Roman Empire at its core, and also these senators who, uh, you know, they. They they were often very petty and probably very like, hey, what's he doing? Yeah. And the thing about Cassius is he's the one who tries to persuade Brutus not to let Antony speak or, uh, or or to at least kill Antony. And Brutus is like, no, we can't do that. It's not right. Mm-hmm. But Cash, but if they had done what Cassius said, it probably would have turned in their favor. I mean, Cassius is a jealous jerk, but he's but he more or less yes, has a pulse on what's going jealous. on. Yeah, I mean, again, Cassius has a bit of that Iago Lady Macbeth role, right? Which is, you know, I I love that kind of role. This must have been so much fun for John Gilgood to play. John Gilgood went on to play Julius Caesar in another film version of this with ah. Charlton Heston and Jason Robards. Oh, okay, yeah, because it's funny. I shared a link to this movie from IMDb on on Facebook somewhere. And the image that popped up was with Charlton Heston. Yeah. And somebody was like, it's not nearly as good as as this. I imagine it's not. So final thoughts. The movie also, by the way, I should say is very well directed. Um, The filmmaker is trying to emphasize the intimate versus the epic. Although I wish the battle scenes were better. Yeah. Yeah. I meant to talk about that more, but whatever. Okay. So that was Julius Caesar. With, with Mom Brandle. You, you have to see uh, Brandle really And James funny. Mason. And, and James Mason. He, he's going to Rome, and I'm going to try to win the crowd. I mean, now I'm trying to sound like more George Sanders. <laughs> Why, and George Sanders, his voice is very much like this. He's almost going towards Alan Rickman, but not as deep and very regal. And, and Alan Rickman. All right, let's move on to... supporting two. role... As a torchbearer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So uh, that was uh, a film by uh, one of the, by William Shakespeare, and now we move on to <laughs> a film by William Shakespeare. <laughs> yes, he rose from the so grave. So let's get on to my film. It was like that Doctor Who episode where Shakespeare is just there as a character. My um, film, which is a pe- which is a period piece, not based on a play or anything, but directed by Stanley Kubrick. This is Barry Lyndon. Yes. So we go from Shakespeare to Kubrick, and I think that's very appropriate. And once again, a story, another story regarding how to attain power. But in a ver- but in a different setting, a different time, and a different character. All right, Barry Lyndon. He is an Irishman. Yes, an Irishman whose real name is Redmond Barry, if right. I remember correctly. He's called Barry Lyndon later, but we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get uh, to that. He's he gets into a duel with his cousin's lover. Yes, because and he, has to yeah. flee his home, which causes him to join the army. Yeah, he, and then desert from the army. Yes, and then get caught and join another army. And it's a really long moment to moment. It's a th- his. Period piece. It's a three-hour movie. Probably the most authentic historical movie I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Well, I think that's... Is that why you put this on my list? Well, I put this on the list for a couple reasons. I mean, for one thing, it's Kubrick. I think that, you know, you should try to see every Kubrick movie ever made, if you can. Um, Also, again... Including Fear and Desire? Yeah, why not? It's definitely his weakest, but yeah, (laughs) why not? I mean, the Roll Code Basement guys did it, but... Also, yeah, the history part. It's funny, when, um, this is a small anecdote, but when I was in high school, I was in sophomore year, and I became obsessed with Kubrick. And it was funny, because I hadn't seen all of Barry Lyndon. I had seen maybe a few scenes. 
but I wanted to try to suck up to my history teacher at the time, and so I lent him a copy of Barry Lyndon. Wow. And I thought, because, and I mistakenly thought it involved a different war than what was featured in the film. <laughs> and then eventually he watched it and he was like, yeah, it doesn't involve that war. But it was a good movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. Oh, and it is a great movie. So imagine if you were, his, if you're a history teacher and somebody, one of your students lent you this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I wish I could show a three-hour film in a history class. To me, uh, this but, movie is like one of the uh, other um, appealing things as well that is it's like wandering through a museum in a way. In a way. Like when you're looking at the paintings in a museum, Kubrick is recreating that to a T. Yes, that's a big deal because the story I notice is being told mostly through images yeah, I, I mean, there, there is there narration. Is, there is narration, there is and that helps to fill in the image a little bit. I mean, you'd be lost without narration. Uh, but there are rarely conversations that, that go on for more than a minute in yeah, this well, film. Well, maybe a couple of minutes here. Maybe yeah. sometimes. But usually, the, there's this one scene with Ryan O'Neill. The, the, uh, Redmond Barry is played by Ryan O'Neill. Yes. Who does a great job, by the way. Uh-huh. It's really refreshing to see him in a good film. Uh, well, you've seen him in bad films? Tough Guys Don't Dance. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Oh, uh, God. I, uh, he's mostly been in good movies. You saw him when he was at his down peak. I still like uh, Tough Guys Don't Dance, but that's a different story. All right. Uh, there's a scene early on where he's, he, he's in love with his cousin, and they're playing this game oh, where he man. has to find I the ribbon. I rewatched that scene. And that scene goes on for like three minutes. And they barely say like twenty words, but <laughs> it's not it's not about even what it's said though, right? It's no. about what's not said. It's about the tension. Like I don't know about you, but let me ask you. Let me just tell you my favorite scene of this movie. All right, and then Go ahead. maybe I could. Hope, I wonder if it's your favorite. So he, Redmond Barry, he's now trying to, you know, he's trying to move up in the world. He's trying to get respectability. He's trying to get some kind of place. And the way that he thinks that is, I'm going to marry somebody. And he sees that there is this woman who's married to this very old man, uh, the Linden guy, right. old man Linden. And so he's sitting across from her at a, at a poker, at a card game. Right. And they're both looking at each other for just a couple of minutes. Then she gets up to go stand on the balcony, and she's just kind of standing there. You're hearing, I think, I'm going to say it's Schubert, but I could be wrong. Please correct me, Dennis Gentile. Um, <laughs> and then Barry Lyndon comes out, and there's like this seduction scene, basically. It takes place with no words. They're looking at each other with very, like, their faces aren't moving much. But the music is very is almost like a it's it's like a yeah. power game, and oh man, I remember I for, I saw that scene years before I saw the full movie, and I was just like, this is one of the best scenes I've ever seen. Yeah, I love that scene so much because and you're it, feeling the tension, you're feeling there's a lot of repressed emotions in this world that people they can't completely express themselves the way that you and I do today. Right, and that's very true to the time. Yes, I mean, it, uh, when you were when you were among the gentry, you were expected to act a certain way, and that's probably something I th I feel that bad historical films get wrong. Mm -hmm. They they impose like a modern way of yeah. a, a modern worldview on characters who are you know from a different time, except that they don't know that television exists. <laughs> yes, but this is 
all the characters act like they live in that time. Yes. All the actors get it right, and it's written in a way that this is how people in, in the 18th century are. Yes. And you totally believe it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, Ryan O'Neill is great. You know what's one of the cool things in this movie is that um, a lot of... You don't usually think about Kubrick having like a stock company of actors, but a number of people in this movie have shown up in other movies. I noticed this. The man who was his servant later in the film was Mr. Grady in The Shining. Yes. And that guy was also in A Clockwork Orange. He was Alex's dad. Yes, Alex's dad is in it. Uh, the guy who plays the writer in Clockwork Orange is uh, the guy with the eye patch. Oh, yeah. And uh, and then also the guy who plays um, the, the, the sort of politician, I think, at near the end of Clockwork Orange. He's the one who tries to get Alex to cooperate with uh, right. and give up. He's the, actually, I think, Mr. He's Barry. He's the guy who dies, and he's like, I'd oh, rather cool. be known as a man who's a cuckold than a fool. Yeah, that guy. Um, yeah, and then also another interesting thing: uh, the man, the the man who plays the adult version of his stepson, the one who's really yeah. the son of Marissa Berenson. He's one of the Drugs, isn't he? What the Drugs from Clockwork Orange? What about no, 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 not one of the Drugs. He ended up. He not really so much in acting. He became Kubrick's assistant. Oh. If you watch the making of the Shining documentary, you kind of see him at times leading around uh, Danny Lloyd around the set. He's like, <laughs> "Hey, come on, Danny, come on!" And uh, his name is Leon Vitali, huh. and uh, he does a really good job. I thought I could have sworn he was in the Clockwork Orange, but no, yeah, um, yeah. So when you say that it's authentic, does this? Uh, so this is a plus. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's. Uh... You feel like you're there. More or less, yeah. <laughs> it's just like in the same way. He basically makes eighteenth, late 18th century England and Ireland into the same way that we see space. He gives it an authenticity, or at least what we think it's authentic. Like, none of us have been in space. None of us Says have been you. in the 18th century. Well, yeah, few people, but... Don't assume, Derek. Yeah, But, you know, you can tell <laughs> this man did his homework. I think this is also, for Kubrick... Uh, as you may know, he wanted to make Napoleon. He, he wanted did. to make a Napoleon movie. Oh. And he didn't make it because uh, the backers pulled out at the last minute. Ah. But I feel like he put a lot of that into this movie. Hmm. He just, like, I remember I was watching um, another scene, and, uh, and when you talk about authenticity, there's that scene where uh, they're showing uh, Barry in the, uh, in the scrimmage or whatever, the battle in the Seven Years' War. Right. And, you know, th this is where... This is back when armies would, one side would just keep marching and the other side would keep firing bullets, and it's a little more nuanced than that. But yeah, you get but the general. You know what I'm saying? They're walking in like kind of a straight line forward. Yeah. And man, talk about a crazy way to be in a war, man. It's just you. As I said, there's more nuance to it than you think. I yeah, no, I know there is. But um, so what are some other things about this movie? Like, what was your favorite scene? Huh. Well, there's one image that sticks to me in the first half of the film when, when, when Barry is um, he gets drafted into the Prussian army. Yeah. And he's walking in front of this man who's being flogged in the gauntlet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a great image because he's just marching ahead, not looking back. And the guy behind him is stripped to his waist and is being beaten. 
by all oh, these guys yeah. with with yeah, the switches. Right. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Hmm. There's. <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, the duels, that's something that you definitely remember from this movie. Yeah. Um, the way that they're paced, I think, is really uh, exquisite. Uh, you know, because there, there are really only two duels in the movie, and yet, you know, the poster for the movie is an image of a man with, like, a gun by his side. Well, it's, in a way, symmetrical, because uh, Redmond Barry's problems start with a duel. Yeah. And his downfall is sealed with a duel. Yes. I mean, if you talk about Stanley Kubrick like superimposing the beginning of The Shining over the ending of The Shining, this is another incidence of that sort of symmetry. Yeah. Well, the very first shot of the movie is a like a long is a w- big wide shot of a duel happening before Barry really enters the story. <laughs> that lo- that on, was a funny horses. part. I love that. I love that that scene. Hmm. Edison, and his father would have become a great lawyer. Pow! If he wasn't killed in a duel. <laughs> <laughs> Little moments of wry comedy. There are a lot of moments of wry comedy here, definitely. I think, uh, you know, I, you know, a lot of the movies, that even when we don't think of them as comedies from Kubrick, they have a lot of humor. Yes. Uh, I mean, Full Metal Jacket, I mean, that's a movie where... Uh, you know, it involves really well, terrible hardcore. things happen. Terrible things happen to these <laughs> Marines, but you can't help but laugh at this is my rifle, this is my gun. Yes. This is my fire, and this is for fun. Again, authenticity. I I guess that's the it one helps thing sell I the story. I can I've never really thought of Kubrick being this way, but there is a tremendous amount of authenticity to his films. Really? I think about you, you, you never thought about that? I never really thought about it before because the amount of detail in his films is just you know, even down detail, to detail, yes, but I mean, even when we get down to things as simple as the casting of Arlie Ermey in Full Metal Jacket, yes, he is. At, you know, he, at first he was brought out as a consultant, and he was just so he left such an impression that, that they, they had ju- to cast him. They had to cast him, and that, that's just something again that we don't have anymore. No, I right now it's illegal for drill instructors to punch people in the gut <laughs> it's yes but you know but ermie was a that was his job at the time of the vietnam war yeah and I mean, that's just that's just the obvious example i mean 2001 of course is very authentic even though there are little flaws in there mm-hmm. it's still one of the best science fiction movies and we're talking about science fiction with a with a capital SF. Yes. Not that S-Y-F-Y And, and in that sci-fi. sense, you know, when Kubrick made a movie, it was THE movie in capital letters. Like, 2001 is THE science fiction movie. Right. The Shining is THE horror movie. Uh, Paths of Glory is THE movie about injustice and war. And now with, and with Barry Lyndon, it was like THE costume picture. Although it's it's in a genre that people generally don't care about. No, these days. I mean this movie. Frankly, I mean at the time it came out, it didn't do well. You know, like uh. usually Kubrick films were actually, aside from being these auteur darlings, they were also box office hits. Right. And Barry Lyndon, you know, it was a movie that took a while to make, like all of his movies did. And because of that authenticity, I mean, also talk about the technical authenticity of this movie to give you a little background. Any scenes that involved characters inside involving candlelight all that was that was it in terms of lighting i've heard this story yeah i mean you've heard the story about how literally lenses made by nasa were used on cameras to try to get the most 
depth of field available that they were able to get light into such a way where and you talk about authenticity so not only is it with the costumes and the dialogue it's also with the look of the film right so that you feel like right, again, when, you, when you see a candlelit room it is literally lit by candles yes exactly um and you need to do have some serious equipment to pull that off yeah um yeah, and again, like one of the things that when I watched the movie, I saw on the big screen maybe three, four years ago, and you, you again, like the way that characters are holding themselves back, they can't really express themselves. And the one when time when Barry does really express himself, <laughs> it, it's at the he, wrong moment. No, yeah, it's, it involves the the sun. It's at the worst moment. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's a great scene, man, where uh, Liam yeah. Vitale just tells him off. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, so, final thoughts? Oh, man. This is another movie I'm just going to have to watch again. Mm-hmm. I mean, one, one day I'll watch Russian Ark again, and I'll, I'll choose another day to watch Barry Lyndon again. Uh, because I do like Barry. I like the character. He's great in the first half, and I love that first half. And it's really unfortunate to see his ending. Yeah, but well, you understand it's rise, that it's a rise and fall story. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of nuance here. Like again, like with other Kubrick films, you 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 see a lot on that first time, but you need to go back. Yeah, um, yeah, and I I love this movie. I I don't know where I place it in my ranking in, of Kubricks, but it's in the Kubrick queue. In the Kubrick queue, but it's up there, and so that's Barry Lyndon. All right. All right. So when those we come, were our list movies, those were our list movies. If you've seen either of these films, oh, by the way, I wanted to mention an interesting fact regarding you know we watched the movie. Make it quick. We watched the movie with Barry Lynn. We, we watched the movie with Marlon Brando and one with Stanley Kubrick. They were originally going to make a movie together. What was it about? It was called One Eyed Jacks. Eventually, Brando made the movie himself. It was going to be a western. Uh, I forget exactly what it was about. Um, and for a little while, Kubrick was really in talks with him, but then Brando was like, no, no, I have to, I have to make it myself. I, to, I don't feel like it's right, Stanley. And, and Stanley I'm Kubrick... I'm Stanley Kubrick, and I think this is terrible. You know what? That has to be Kubrick's voice from now on. That's not at all how he sounds. Action! Yeah, I do! You make him sound like the Mad Hatter from the Disney movie. Teacup, teacup, move down, move down! <laughs> Um, but I just thought that was a fascinating thing, the fact that these two are, uh, that are linked. Um, so, so those are the two movies. list movies. Watch them. Yes, and speaking of movies, uh, in our main topic, uh, when we come back, we are going to talk about a man who is rather obsessed with movies. Uh, or kind of, is he? Or is he? Stay tuned. Stay tuned.